Hello and welcome to the show. This is your host, Phineas Ellis. Uh, What a crazy time in the world. I'm here in Vermont. I've been here for about 18 days at this point. Evacuated the city and I am holed up here trying to continue my life like so many others and not really sure where to go. As I've been thinking about how to participate in this new world and in all the craziness, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to redirect my show and repurpose my show as a way to help tell some stories about entrepreneurs who are dealing with the coronavirus and how they're evolving their businesses, how it's impacting their businesses, and then hopefully how we can help participate in building a new path towards a post-corona world uh, for these businesses and for the business community in general. It's a small corner of the world that I operate in, but my hope is that I can, I think everybody is thinking about how they can redirect their daily activity and their work and their life in a way that acknowledges the new reality. And so I'm going to jump right into it. My first interview is with two dear friends of mine who started a restaurant business called The Egg Shop. And the coronavirus hit them particularly hard, as you can imagine. We get into a bunch of topics that are both about the egg shop and its history and then about how the the coronavirus has impacted their business and where they are today. Dimitri and Sarah, they are amazing and, and I really appreciated them taking the time to explain where they're at. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Oh, and one more thing. Because we are social distancing, of course, this interview is via Zoom. So forgive the poor connection, forgive the moments of chop, because I am in Vermont and my connection is less than perfect. But please stick with the show. The episode's not that long, and I think you'll get something out of it. I really appreciate it. Please give me feedback, subscribe to the show, rate the show, but really shoot me a note on what you think. That really means more to me than anything else. Okay, now without further ado... Enjoy the show. To start, it would be great if you guys would tell us a little bit about the egg shop and what it is and how you started it and sort of give people a background of what the, about the business. Sure. Egg shop is five and a half years old, our initial location, uh, which is in Nolita in Manhattan. And then we have a second location in Williamsburg that's about two and a half years old. And initially Egg Shop was sort of a pipe dream of mine. (laughs) Um, I had been working in fashion for 14 years and I started becoming obsessed with the idea of an egg sandwich. And I didn't know why my only option was the dirty deli. (laughs) And that sort of just became its own conversation. All of a sudden it was like the only thing we were talking about was this idea of egg shop and egg sandwiches and why it didn't exist. And it's this quintessential New York staple. And how did we take it from an idea to a concept or to reality? Mm. Well, I think it was just that there was at least an opening in the market for a brand that stood for like essentially the gold standard in New York for like a bacon, egg and cheese. And then you know, just uh, talk to some of our you know, restaurateur hospitality friends because we had no background in the space to sort of understand from a business model standpoint or for the economics of it, does it even make sense? And got some good feedback there. But it really didn't come to life until we met our chef and partner, Nick Corby, who, you know, took 
a kernel of an idea and then just kind of expanded it to really um, hone in on the versatility of the egg and how it can be used in so many different and intriguing ways, whether it's a sandwich or, or a bowl. And that's when I think we really saw Egg Shop as viable. A, a viable, not only just viable, but also something that has, you know, offerings to the public that they couldn't get anywhere else. And we were doing something really, at least what felt like different. Yeah, I mean, we even finding the step to finding a chef was like its own thing, right? So it was an idea. Dimitri put a business plan together based on hospitality <laughs> friends and some just, we started just sort of like diving in. And once we had this business plan, it was like, well, who's going to make the food? <laughs> we had a brand, we had a concept, idea of what we wanted to see, but neither of us are chefs. And so that was the next hurdle to jump. It was like, well, how do we go about finding this chef? And then once you get the chef and you kind of get an idea of like, wow, we can actually put a menu together that could be appealing for, you know, a bunch of different types of customers. Then it's like, all right, well, we actually need a physical space and, and like a restaurant. And that means signing leases and doing stuff that was very foreign. I mean, everything was foreign to us, but then it's like, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road and checks are being signed and money's being raised. You know, that's when it really got, you know, uh, real, so to speak. And but at each turn, um, what we understood is that if we ever faced this hurdle that felt surmountable, that yes, this was, you know, a, a pipe dream, our lives weren't contingent upon doing it, but we were so, so, so interested in pursuing it as far as we could pursue it to see if we can get to where we wanted to get to, that at each hurdle, we sort of hopped over it or busted through the wall to finally arrive at a, you know, opening day. Yeah. And you found that incredible first location, which I think is really rare in downtown New York. It's like this small spot that is probably entirely too small for a restaurant. And now it's, there's a line around the, you know, there's now obviously it's in high demand, but um, when you first started it, was it kind of like, how do we fit a restaurant into this tiny space? You know, we had been searching for the right space and we had lived on Canal in Ludlow for, I had been there for about 12 years, Dimitri moved in and we found a space right below us. And for a long time, we were really pursuing that and it felt perfect. It was like my landlord right below our apartment, the neighborhood, like it just felt kismet. And right as we started getting serious with it, things sort of fell apart. And I was, we were both bombed and super upset. And then we sort of went about it again. It's like, all right, back to searching and you know when we found the nolita space it actually was a restaurant so it had been like a wine tapas bar called pache so the infrastructure was there it was vented it had a bar mm. and the size of it actually is what was perfect right because i didn't know if anyone was going to show up for an egg sandwich yeah i right. didn't know if anyone was going to this concept you know, I mean, come on, let's be real about it. Like everyone said it was crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, a few people thought it was great. And then everyone else sort of like patted me on the shoulder and was like, oh, that's cute. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So the size is what made it feel comfortable. It's like, well, if it's quiet, it won't feel as bare. And if it's busy, then it'll look slammed and bustling. And that's great. And so when we found that, it was like, this is the one. Like, I just remember feeling it in my gut, like so stoked. Yeah, Sarah couldn't stop talking about it. So I was like, this is it. This yeah, is it. This is like, it. All right. If you really feel it that, that strongly, yeah. let's get after it. And now you have a second location in Williamsburg that you opened about, what is it, a year ago now? Two and a half. Oh, wow. Gosh. 2017. Yeah. 
Time flies. I've only lived nearby for about a year is why I'm saying a year in my head. That's <laughs> I've been your neighbor. So your dad is your favorite customer. My dad's obsessed. He's in there as every every time every chance he gets. <laughs> And then he likes to come home and brag about that he saw that, you know, that he was chummy with the owner. And um, it's become one of our favorite family places in the neighborhood. I uh, So one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast in the new current crazy climate is have conversations with folks about how it's impacted their business. There are a large swath of ways that it's impacting different types of businesses, but obviously the hospitality industry is being hit harder than anybody else. And it would be, I think, could you maybe just walk us through a little bit about how you interacted with it as it progressed day by day, sort of from the beginning to to now? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just like panic attack after panic attack when it initially hit. Like our Nolita location is very tourist driven a lot of Asian tourists. And so right when everything went down in China, I think we immediately felt that in Nolita, which was shocking, right? I mean, you just, to feel the impact so quickly, like everyone is sort of chatting about it, but it really for us was early Feb. Yeah, I'd almost say maybe even slightly before beginning of Feb, because fortunately it's like we have a business that's been steady and reasonably predictable each year. So, you know, we know when there are dips or there's peaks and valleys. It's just that end of January was better than we had anticipated and that we've ever experienced. So, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, we've gone through sort of panics before, like, like, you know, we've had a weird week or something and you go, I wonder what that is. We were trying to sort of diagnose in the same way, um, but couldn't put our finger on it and hadn't fully accepted that it was possibly related to lighter tourism or folks not going out. You know, like what, what that could being be. In Chinatown. Yeah, being in Chinatown, you know. Which um, I hate to say it, but I think there definitely was a yeah. little bit of. There was an impact. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were just like, you know, end of Jan, February were not awesome. So, you know, but then as soon as it hit, it was just like, okay, so this really has been essentially driving the reduction in business. So you really started feeling it much earlier than it was part of the national media. You started feeling it in your business because you have such a tourist driven business at that location specifically. Yeah. And and Williamsburg sort of felt okay. Like we were like yeah. confused, you know, because Elite is always workhorse. Yeah. yeah. Like we know what we're getting with that. Williamsburg's a little bit newer. It's a different density. It's a different neighborhood. It has its own challenges. But we were cruising again, which led us to believe, wow, like this really has to be part of what's happening in China and, and tourism and mm-hmm. Corona. And, you know, as we would speak to some other neighbors, they were having similar issues. And what can you do? <laughs> right. Right. I, that's the number one challenge. Like, how can I be impactful with this knowledge? Or how can we impact business? Yeah, how can we use this information to do something different? It's not, you know, this is this is obviously systemic and macro, so there's not a whole lot of stuff that we could do. Right. And so what was the next big moment after was it the big national CDC announcement that it was a national emergency? What was the big moment for you where you were like, okay, this is something totally different. Yeah, I I can't remember what nationally exactly was said. It was like Friday, March 13th. 
right? Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th, for some reason, I felt like was this big impact for everyone. Like everyone was decided like, this is real. It's coming to New York. It's coming to the US. It's going to happen. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, on the back of what Sarah's saying, actually. So that week, that week, uh, the Friday the 13th, you know, March 13th week or whatever, I, you know, I have a job. So I work at a film distributor and earlier in the week or the week before rather, we had sat down with the president and he took this stuff really seriously. Like, we should all start preparing to work from home um, because this is like, it's unrealistic to not expect for it to, you know, there've been cases and all this stuff, but you know, Italy was really, yeah, it's just, hit. it's just going to get worse. And, I, and I'm not a super duper doom and gloom guy, but I'm like, common sense only tells you that it's going to hit here and it's going to hit here hard. I mean, you know, what, how prepared are we over here? Well, we, I come home and tell Sarah, you know, uh, anecdotally, I'm like, this is what's going on in our office. This is what I'm hearing from some other folks in the industry. I think we're going to probably shut down kind of soon enough. And then the Thursday, so the 12th of March, we had our come to Jesus at the office and he's like, get your stuff and go home right now. And that's when I came home and I said, we're done for the foreseeable future. And that's where I think every office basically just clamped down at that point. And the next day was just, you know, mayhem. And I think also like that same week, we had sent out an email to staff like, hey, this is real. And if everyone can go get a flu shot, like that sort of seemed like the right thing to say to everyone, like get in front of it in case you get sick and make sure you're washing your hands. And everyone started sanitizing. And we all started doing what we thought was the best thing to do, which was wear gloves, sanitize and wash your hands every two seconds. And very quickly that Friday, business was tragically down. And then that weekend was just like, Oh, it's done. This is this is a new climate that we are all living in, just like that. Okay, so what does that mean for your business? So you just decided to close your doors. So Where not exactly. Now? So Friday was sort of this like big heavy feeling of things are gonna change and they're gonna change rapidly. And what does that mean for us? We wanted to go through the weekend to see exactly how impacted we were and it was devastating. And we made the decision that on Monday, we were just going to do to go and delivery. Um, and that was pre de Blasio telling everyone that that was actually the only way that restaurants could remain open. So we were like one day in front of that. And we did that one day at both locations. And it became clear it was, really quickly that that was not going to be something that we could sustain. Yeah, no, no, and, no, and no restaurant can, to be, to be honest. You know? I mean, people are Listen, there's different choices. People are choosing to do what they think is best for us. We were very concerned about putting our staff at risk. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if it was not something that I wanted to do, I certainly wasn't going to ask my team to do it. And we had had probably 50% of our team already say, I don't want to come to work. I'm not comfortable. And then when you look at the delivery, you know, the delivery companies are still taking 30%, whether or not it's deferred, it's still going to get paid. And when you do $600 in a day, that is not a business. Yeah. And it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Yeah. And it doesn't cover costs. Quite frankly, it's like for us, we were better off shutting down all of the monthly costs that we could to just mm -hmm. get in front of yeah, hoarding the cash that we, that we could. Right. But also it's just a matter of like, you know, it's like, you know, I think that to, to stay open, you know, you have to ask yourself to what end am I staying open? Is it to make money? Because that's a not going to happen. And certainly at this point shouldn't necessarily be the goal. Is it the safety of our employees? Absolutely. Is it the, is it this perception of at least we're not feeding the beast? You know, this thing requires 
serious, serious social distancing measures to the extent that there's delivery guys coming in and out of our store and going to customers. Like that is not helping us stem this as quickly as possibly can. And to, to be open, to be potentially risking losing money, potentially making a few bucks, like that's not, that's not where our head's at. Um, and, and so that was, I mean, it was kind of like a no brainer to us. Um, yeah. After the Monday we delivery, I mean, you know, our weekend business, even that one weekend we were open and seating folks, like business was down 75% or so. So it was just like, it just didn't, it, it, it was an easy decision. And I want to caveat that with really quickly. It was hard. It was a very difficult decision to make from an emotional level, like breakdowns after breakdowns. Um, And also a sense of wanting to remain open for the community and supporting your community, communities that you're in. So while it was pragmatic and what we felt like was the only choice for us, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And I also think you have to think about what our restaurant does in the market that we serve, which is an all day breakfast and lunch. And, you know, I think while people are out of work and they don't have a lot of money, that's certainly not the meal that you're spending on. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. There's such a social element to that decision and to the implications of whether to stay open or not. There's a social responsibility element, but then there's also some bottom lines, which are, you're a business that requires people to congregate. You're a business that has ongoing fixed costs that don't necessarily all go away if you close your doors. So how are you guys thinking about that today? And then my, my last question, which we can spend some time on, is how can the community help? Um, and w- w- how are you experiencing those sort of fixed costs? And how are you surviving through this time? And then how can people help and support? Yeah, I mean, I think every day is different. You know, obviously we are tracking all these different loan options. Um, but to be honest, we don't particularly want to get in debt over right. rent, right? right. Like that right. to us is not a way forward. Go ahead. I'll let you yeah, no, no, this. I think, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I was going to simply add to the back of why, you know, it's like the decisions you have to make and I mean, for one, it's all about hoarding cash. The moment we realized what was happening and what would happen and the uncertainty around when the world would come out of it, or at least New York City would come out of this, that uncertainty is probably the biggest variable because if you know when you're going to sort of come out of it or you have some idea of when things are going to improve, you can start sort of looking at your cash, you know, what your expenses. It's like, this is a question mark on every single variable that you need to factor in order to make business decisions. But with that being said, the biggest fixed cost for everyone is rent. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. But personally speaking, I think the best thing that could happen was if all landlords were asked to put into place rent abatement for at least a month, at least April, right? Yeah. Well, everyone uses out and then reassess. But to not know where what's happening with that, then that's when hard choices have to be made because a lot of restaurants, including ourselves, do not want to take out a loan, pay back rent to then possibly open in a few months to a business that is different. The sales are going to be different. The climate is going to be different. How people go out to eat is going to be, I mean, the whole thing, right? It's a different business model all of a sudden. And we're paying back rent. Like it's hard enough to make rent on a good day. Yeah. 
Right. And ultimately it seems like something that, I mean, obviously landlords also don't want your business to fail because they don't have confidence that they can get somebody else in and there's uncertainty on their side too. But I would imagine they are the, they just don't want to be the first ones to cave on this. Is there a bill or a, I think I saw you posted on Instagram that people are supporting. There's a rent abatement. Yeah. Ultimately landlords want your business to survive, but they just don't want to be the ones to bring it up in case getting loans is an option, especially federal loans, right? And so if the people are giving out loans to businesses, they're like, we can get some of that money. So it's a chicken or the egg, seems like a chicken or the egg type situation. And so- 100%, that's where we're at. It's like, okay, so we've already, you know, started having these conversations with our landlords and it's like, well, you've seen the loans, right? You've seen the loans, you're you're applying for the loans and it's like, oh man, that is not going to save the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it might get them their rent for a month, two months, you know, like let's say this page, you know, the paycheck protection program, which, you know, which addresses this is the the only program to really address it. All right. So if we take out a loan, the loan is fully forgiven. If we meet certain criteria, we can use some of that money towards utilities and rent. All right. So, so, so the landlord is whole for maybe two months, maybe what happens after that? And I, you know, full respect to them too. You know, I understand they have obligations as well. You know, they have lenders they have to answer to those lenders, you know, also need their money on the first and, right. and all the stuff. So we're not in some delusion that we're in need of charity and, and they can just offer it up. That said, what do they do with an empty storefront for the next 24 months? Right. And is you there know? a scenario and, and where you refuse to pay? Where you just don't pay? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let me, yeah. I'm right happy now. To, yeah. I'll <laughs> go down that road right now. I mean, the reality is that, you know, before this Paycheck Protection Program, um, phase three of the stimulus bill was passed, Sarah and I had, I couldn't even tell you how many, com- you know, hours of conversation just saying, okay, well, in the good days, and we, you know, knock on wood, we consider ourselves a successful restaurant. Margins are yeah. extremely thin in the hospitality and the restaurant business. So in the first place, you know, if we're, if we're talking about taking out a loan to pay rent that for which the space we're paying the rent on brings no value, no, no revenue, nothing whatsoever. Yeah. And my margins were as slim as they were in the good days. What can I, how can I possibly forecast going back to my conversation about variables you can't sort of put your finger on? How, if I don't know when I'm going to come out of this, what my business is going to look like when I get out of this, I can guarantee you it's not going to be at the level it was going to be at. You know, are people going to even be interested in congregating in public spaces, whether it's museums, restaurants, you know, the experiential sort of, uh, you know, moments to justify, you know, saying I'm going to, I'm going to take on whatever, 20, 40, $50,000 worth of debt that I have to pay over the course of my lease. When we return back to normal, who knows when that is, at what level of business that's going to be. And no less, even if at that point we have to shut the doors because we're seeing that business has not come back for the restaurant world. So Sarah and I are saddled with thousands of dollars of debt for which we've received absolutely nothing for. Not an asset, not no value, nothing. I'd rather just say, you know what? It's been a great run. This pandemic has decimated us. And I say to the landlord, if you can't work with us, here are the keys. We have a good guy clause. We're going to kick it into gear and we're going to unfortunately walk away from this thing. You can have your valuable space, which will stay empty for well into the foreseeable future. If you find a tenant, great. And if you don't, you know, give us a shout whenever the rent's at, you know, 25% of whatever you were charging us before. I, you know, I don't know what to say, you know, yeah. but that's, that's really the reality of our world. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, it's like, it's really... A- 
all the decisions are hard. And I'm not even talking about the emotional aspects of that. You know, this is again, just pure calculus, you know, the, the, the emotional side of how to deal with those decisions is something that's completely separate. And, and I fully share Sarah's, the distress that she felt early days. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's our baby. It's a lot of employees. It's our family. Yeah. So how can people who are listening to this support, how can people get involved if at all? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think first, first of all, I, I'm so blown away by the love and support that we've already received. Like just the amount of people that went and bought gift certificates online. It's so heartwarming and generous and just unexpected. You know, like I know people want to care or they do care and they want to help, but to actually see it in a tangible form is another thing. Um, then we did the GoFundMe for the staff, same thing, amazing support. And, you know, to be honest, the, uh, the employees hopefully will be taken care of going forward with this new payment protection program. So that's a weight off our shoulders a bit. At like, least in the short term. In yeah. the short term. But they can pay rent, hopefully, and they can buy food and they, they are in a good position. You know, I think for us, it's a bigger calculus, which is what we were talking about. You know, this bill, and let me tell you the name of the bill so that everyone can vote for it. It's Bill S as in Sarah, 8125 A's and Apple. Um, and so the New York State Senate. Yeah, and it suspends all rent payments for certain residential tenants and small business commercial tenants. And in our world, like that is truly the best possible scenario. Yeah, that's the only thing, that's that, the only thing that will be impactful. And quite frankly, I wish that that was what they had decided to do immediately. You know, having to be a business person and decipher and dig through all these different loans and options and variables, like it's so draining, it's time consuming, you're hoping you're making the right decision. And it's like, rent is everyone's biggest yeah. fixed cost. If that was paused or abated for a month or two months, I think every single person living in this country right now would feel a weight yeah. off their shoulders. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for taking the time and thank you for sharing. Yeah. And let's keep in touch. I'll uh, I'll keep you guys posted as when this episode comes out and hopefully we can get some more people. I'll send some more people to the GoFundMe campaign and we'll follow up on that bill. I think like people don't know what's happening in the business community. And so it's I think it's really impactful to have people actually tell stories about what's going on. Like people don't know. And, and I think people would like to support and everyone's struggling. And I, I think people just don't know. Uh, so all of the things you said today, I think most people don't know that that's really what's happening. So thank you for letting me. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Seriously. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. We'll be well, Phineas. Stay safe. healthy, stay safe. Will do. Speak soon. Thank you for sharing. We'll speak soon. Okay. Bye.